Dun, 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 Go out of the podcast. Episode, I don't remember. Uh, five? Six? <laughs> six? I think it's six. Seven it could even be. It could be. We don't know yet. We don't know. Here's the thing. It's the first one of the new year. First one of the new year. Absolutely It's true. likely the first and only one you're ever going to listen to. Don't say that. <laughs> we do have a couple listeners. It's great. Yeah. It's great. I'm Tyler Reed. I'm Tate Brown. And today we're going to talk about 3D printing and some skills related to printing that we want to improve this year. But before we do that, let's just chat a little bit. It's been all, oh, it's just been over two weeks since we, re- we recorded our last episode. Too long, too long. We've left, we've left those three listeners hanging. We want to welcome them back to the new year. Yeah, join us in celebrating 2021. <laughs> All almost dozen of us. <laughs> well, we're in the air everywhere. Today is our first episode that we are recording from different locations. Yeah. So Tyler is still at headquarters. I mean, and I'm actually at my home office. Must be nice. Uh, you know, I would rather be there. Aww. I like it there. <laughs> it is kind of nice, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's lonely here at home. So we have and some new hardware that's allowing this, right? You're called in yes. through Zoom. I'm here in the office. And perhaps this is first of many steps to legitimizing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're figuring it out. I think so. Uh, it's It hasn't come without its struggles. We are constantly working on sound. It's hard. I think at this, yeah. It's proved way more challenging than than I had initially uh, expected. Yeah, new respect for people who do this well. <laughs> for sure. But with this new capability, we can be in the office together, but also have a guest. So that's on the table for this year, right? Yeah, that's something that I have, I've been kind of secretly gathering this like dream list of guests that I'd like to have. I think I've only probably got up to like five, five, four or five guests and some may be unattainable. Uh, but you know, shoot for the, shoot for the stars. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. What Hopefully is, we can get what, a couple. what's an example of an unattainable guest? I want to see where you're setting oh. the bar. <laughs> um, George Clooney. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, he, he is probably unattainable because what does he have to do with 3D printing? Well, I'm <laughs> glad you asked. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so I was watching this. Uh, it's a brand new movie, actually. Uh, I, I watched over the break, and it's called The Midnight Sky, and it's got George Clooney. It's a space movie. It's kind of about the end of the earth, whatever. But if you are paying attention throughout that movie, you know, it's it's an okay movie. I'm not recommending anyone go see it because it's just a spectacular film. But it is worth noting throughout the movie, there is topology optimization everywhere throughout it. And there is 3D printing sprinkled throughout this. And this is a futuristic movie. I think it's set 
uh, I want to say like 2030 okay. or somewhere around there. Is, uh, it might be tw- 2040. Are you talking about set design or is it part of the plot of the movie? Both, really? actually. So there is a, a moment within the movie where uh, their satellite gets hit with some uh, space debris and it breaks some of the portions of their, their satellite. And as they're assessing the damage, they're like, oh, well, we can, we can repair that with the printer. And in another scene later, you can actually see this uh, 3D printer that's kind of a mobile unit, kind of like a little droid that runs out to that portion of the ship and starts printing a new uh, radio or, or whatever, or an enclosure. But it's definitely got a lot of little hints and odes to additive manufacturing throughout the entire That's show. cool. We've entered the realm of pop culture. For sure. Well, I mean, think of it like what the 80s, 90s, not that I was old enough to pay attention, but I have watched 80s movies since then. But, you know, they had Palm Pilots or some semblance of them in those older movies or touch screens. And now we've really got them. Yeah. Palm Pilots I'm- in the 80s. I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the earliest pop culture reference or cinema reference to 3D printing that I'm aware of is in the movie Small Soldiers. Do you remember that oh, movie? Totally. Mm-hmm. In the opening what credits, part? the opening credits, one of the soldiers, I don't remember their names, but one of the scarier looking dudes um, is printed on uh, it. It's like an SLA type printer. Really? Yeah. That's the only time it happens in the movie, but I think that came out in the year 2000, maybe 99, maybe 2001, but right there. 98. Ooh, okay. 1998. Yeah. I remember that movie was like almost, it was borderline scary as a kid. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's like, this isn't a kid's movie. These action figures are evil. I don't remember the additive part, though. You wouldn't. It's during the opening credits. A lot of shows are like that. When you when you look back at different shows like Animaniacs, Animaniacs has the reboot <laughs> this year. Have you been watching the new ones? No. <laughs> They're entertaining as an adult. All right. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. So, yeah, we got we got this new hardware. We're up in our game. We'll, we'll get some guests on. You know, I also have high aspirations. I would also like to meet George Clooney virtually. <laughs> we, we've been printing faces for a stop motion film going on uh, two years now. And the voice actors for that film are A-list uh, celebrities. Ron Perlman, Emma Roberts, Randy or Dennis Quaid, one of the Quaids. Are they the same person? I don't know, but one of the Quaids. But what I've learned is even though that stop motion film has been in production for years, they came in and did the voiceovers in one day. They have no idea (laughs) anything about the, the printing or the creation of that film, I suspect. Randy Quaid... And Dennis Quaid are definitely not the same people. I know they're not the same people, but... 
Randy Quaid, holy moly, he does not look. I'm Googling him right now. Everyone, if you get a chance, Google this guy. It's 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 uh the cousin from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> it's it's the dad. Shitter's full Clark. <laughs> he looks like Santa now. Really? No joke. Yeah, he doesn't, he's unrecognizable. Is anyway, he, yeah. I didn't know Randy Quaid was his actual name. Shame on me. Is he even A-list anymore? Oh, I don't know. Probably not. He's a big deal in the, the 90s. The fact that I don't even know what he looks like, I guess that that disqualifies him from being an A-list celebrity. Oh, so you're the, <laughs> you're the measuring stick. <laughs> All right. Yes, I am the standard. All right. Well, since we're getting into a new year, let's talk a little bit about I don't know. I guess our plans for the podcast, um, maybe maybe some plans in your personal life. Obviously, three uh, D printing themed. Our work revolves around additive manufacturing. But uh, is there anything else we could cover? I mean, uh, if we cover personal and three D printing at work and podcasts, that pretty much is everything. Yeah, it is everything. In fact, if this week is any indication, I have no life outside of work. It has been <laughs> uh, just overwhelming. This time every year is just overwhelming for me personally because I never sleep well, for one. I'm a person that always has a lot of ideas. And I get so excited this time of year about all my ideas. And it's debilitating in some ways. So I've definitely resolved this year to have more patience uh, in implementing some of these ideas uh, because without the patience, I tend to just sabotage myself. I think a lot of people do that. I know I do it. Um, I actually, I'm looking up this quote right now. It's like, it's one of those little quotes you'd put up on. <laughs> if you were that type of person, you'd put up put on up your uh, Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Live, but, laugh, love. <laughs> it's something along the lines of if your ratio of thinking to doing uh, is anything less than 80%, uh, think less and try again or something like that. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that for me has been one that I like stashed in my phone somewhere. And every once in a while I pick it up. Can you hear, sorry, can you hear that when... I get a notification no. on my laptop. Okay, great. I don't want that to be distracting to anybody but me. <laughs> but anyway, that's one of those quotes that I've stashed for a long time. And every time I bring it up, it's always just a nice reminder. But I think that'll kind sure. of be my, my theme for 2021. Yeah, I think I'm going to just have patience and really focus and understand what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? and double down on my strengths. You know, focus on taking what I'm good at and making myself great at it and finding other people on our team or other people in my life who are better at me, better than me at my weaknesses and letting them excel there. That's the dream. That's the dream. As long as you have teammates that do fill in those voids, definitely utilize them. Yeah. For example, training, not my, it's not my strength, but we have people on our team whose strength is training. 
And so I'm going to let those people excel at what they do. And I'm going to focus on some other things. I think my strengths are more on the artistic side. Definitely. Yeah. And I think I'm actually one of those people that will be helping with some of the trainings. Yeah. It's exciting. So we've got some good stuff in the hopper for this year. For sure. Yeah. Oh, you looked like you were going to say something. See, we're on zoom now. So now we're kind of like looking at each other like, yeah. Oh, oh. So I'm, I'm going to jump into one of the software tools that I do want to spend quite a bit of time on this year. Uh, I've just started dabbling in it and actually so have you over the past week Mm -hmm. or two. And that is Keyshot. Uh, Keyshot is a rendering tool that's used throughout many industries to create photorealistic 2D images, 3D images, and also animations. And the reason why you and I are looking into it right now is because late last year, Keyshot released a version 10 that allows an export of a 3MF file. And a 3MF file is sort of a smart STL file. It has material data, color texture data uh, on top of the geometry data. And when we are processing prints for polyjet, uh, full color polyjet prints, we can read in a 3MF file on and print it on something like a J55 or a J850. And I didn't jump on it quickly, but now that I'm on the Keyshot train, I'm on it. I love it. Yeah. And a couple things, a couple thoughts pop into my mind when you say this. If I'm a listener right now, I'm thinking, well, what the heck is Keyshot? What does it mean to me? I don't have a J850. Maybe you do. Um, or I don't have full, full color capability. So one thing I do want to say is, like Tyler mentioned, this is a rendering software, first and foremost. Secondly, it just happens to help you with full color workflow. So it helps cap it off. It's like the finishing touch. And Tyler was walking me through a little demo of it yesterday. I just downloaded a free trial yesterday or two days ago, and I actually haven't jumped into it yet. But Tyler's only been working in it for a couple of days, and he is already doing some really, really cool things. Uh, these, this software is one of those rendering tools that can make photorealistic renders. So if you've dabbled with rendering in SolidWorks or Fusion 360, you get these decent renders that look okay. Like it's maybe good enough for a product page photograph that you'd put on a website or something, but it's not, everyone would know that it's not real. So, uh, this software creates photorealistic images and or animations. The second thing I wanted to note real quick was that this tool, um, we get a lot of software thrown in our laps, don't we? Oh yeah, for sure. And so a lot of them, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk bad about anyone in particular, but they just don't stick. They don't have staying power. And Tyler and I have limited, what would you call it? Brain space or, or bandwidth. And so we try to choose what we learn selectively. You know, you don't want to learn a whole suite of software tools that end up being obsolete in a year right. or six months. You have to see an end game, right? Absolutely. And so, I do with this for sure. Yeah. 
And to me, that's a key indicator. Uh, I know Tyler well enough to know when he's going to invest in a tool. Um, if I weren't going to take the time to, to learn it, uh, I'd be foolish if I see that Tyler is actually figuring it out. So this isn't just a tool that we use in 3D printing world. It seems to be a pretty popular tool just throughout the rendering, um, people who do a lot of rendering. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the, it's universally known. It's, it's right. like the SOLIDWORKS of the rendering world, very, it seems like. Very well known. And renders are something that we've always talked about being complementary to 3D printing, especially when we are in the, like the design realism uh, conversation. Polyjet acting as substitute for renders in some cases, but really complementary. You know, oftentimes we're printing parts to convey ideas to uh, prospective, uh, you know, investors, prospective buyers. Uh, we are presenting 3D prints to executives who need to make decisions. And 3D prints, because you have that tactile feedback, you there's no question about scale and ergonomics and whatnot. They offer a lot of valuable information. However, renders can be complementary in that they can help create more of a story about that part or that design. Uh, in a render or an animation, you can place that part in a different environment rather than just, say, here in the office. And so I do think that they're, they're complementary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they say a picture is worth a thousand words and a model is worth a thousand pictures, right? So the power is pretty significant in a model. However, the other uh, portion of rendering tools is you can create a marketable image that can be used on a web page. Uh, you can actually start marketing prior to having a finished product. So say you're working with a render and you're working in parallel to create the 3D model, but you want to get the workflow going. You want to get, you know, things tuned up and ready to go for, for sale. Um, we've at companies I've been in, in the past, we've used rendering to place products in an environment, like you said, that's uniform. You know, it doesn't matter if you change locations or you have a new photo booth, or if you change uh, camera people, a render looks the same all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's strength in that. And I absolutely believe at this moment in time, Keyshot is the best way to apply colors to parts that you intend on printing in Polyjet. I can't think of any other tool that gives you the same flexibility and just the amount of power that you have over the look and geometry using bump maps of your 3D print. It's pretty impressive. Now, since we're talking about skills, I do think it's important to understand that, like I was able to pick this up quicker I, than your average person, I think because I have a background in photography and an understanding of lighting and composition and whatnot. And these are sort of some fundamental skills and every tool that we talk about and, and really every skill that you, you know, pursue in your life, there are surface, um, think surface topics that you can become fixated on. And there's underlying like core 
skills that power that. For example, if we were talking about CAD skills, it would be so easy to dive into a discussion about hardware specs, you know, computer specs. What mouse do you like? What type of keyboard do you like? Etc. But that is just a surface discussion. And really, if you want to become great at different skill sets, you have to try to identify what are the core skills that are really going to pay off in the long term and you know, have some patience in developing those skills first. Well, you mentioned a couple things there. One, um, you picked it up fairly quickly. What you didn't mention is I know that you did watch a few YouTube videos. Oh, for sure. To help learn. And that's one great thing. Uh, I'd mention anytime a software comes out and there is some actual how-to videos and tutorials available on YouTube for free, to me, that's a huge plus. And it actually speaks volumes about the product's use worldwide. So it's an indicator to me that a lot of people are using it, that it's popular. Um, you know, we do tons of SolidWorks videos, but, and Stratasys videos, we try to do as many software tutorials as we can on the, the Stratasys mm -hmm. specific so software, but even that's not quite up to par yet. I would say there's a lot more information out there on Keyshot, which is great. Yeah, tons. For someone who's just trying to get into it. Tons of information. And to be honest, when we are creating our tutorials, we're learning as we go, right? A lot of times we come up with an idea for a tutorial that we have, you know, maybe we know 80%, 70% about the topic, but because we put that on our plate, it forces us to learn the remaining amount. And uh, it's a great incentive for us to learn. And we're doing the same thing here with the podcast. You just got to jump into things. You're never going to be ready. You just have to jump into things and start creating content. So I've got a question. If you talked about the value of understanding certain software. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think this particular, knowing this product could help you say land a job or get a promotion? Or do you think that it's worth knowing? Yeah. So I, I definitely think it's worth knowing and we could we could go all sorts of different directions in this way. But since you specifically asked about like landing a job or being promoted, you're talking about it from a business point of view. And with a business point of view, you're always concerned about revenue, right? How am I going to create revenue with this skill? And how am I going to tie it maybe to sales? in this skill or advertising or marketing in this skill? How am I going to convert this skill to qualified leads, for example? And uh, there's, there's many ways that you could do this. Um, so you talked about rendering being used as a marketing tool. And yep. I can imagine a scenario where we use some renders in tandem with some 3D prints to create a 10 second ad that we put on social media, for example. Uh, with renders and animations, we can create situations that are fantastical. We can create situations that do not exist in real life. Those could catch someone's eye very quickly. And I could see that being used in tandem with video of a 3D print to create small little snippets uh, for advertisements. I could use this skill to showcase my own work internally, right? I could create, like I have these awards that I create 
and people see the awards, but you know, perhaps I could create renders or animations of these awards and also send those out. And it paints a whole different story than the print itself. It enhances the story of the print and that perhaps becomes more memorable. And next time a project comes up and people are thinking about who are we going to assign this to? Who do we trust to do a good job here? If you have already delivered very memorable content, then your name is going to shoot up to the top of the list. Yeah. So I thought of an analogy kind of while you were talking about that in that you could create, well, we have 3D printers now, specifically these Stratasys machines that are resin-based, full color capability to create an almost totally realistic model. Uh, in fact, we know because we know what artifacts to look for, that it's not real, but like say those nail polish pieces, uh, those nail polish canisters or bottles that we printed recently, you could plop those in someone's hand and tell them it's a 3D print and yeah. they still try to spin the lid off and and paint their fingernails yeah. with it. Like it's, it's wild. So with Keyshot, it helps you output on the printer just like you would, you know, doing a render in SOLIDWORKS doesn't produce a perfect photorealistic render, right? It's the same thing with that printer. It's going to, if you send a file straight from SOLIDWORKS that you maybe applied some color to, you're going to get a decent looking model out of the printer. But if you send a model from Keyshot that's been photorealistic rendered and had textures and specific colors applied to it, the output you get from that printer is so much better. Yeah. And like Tyler said, so much more impactful and memorable. And so I definitely think that it's a marketable asset that you can add to your um, repertoire. Yeah. And I would say that the skill set for creating textures for prints is a little bit different than the renders and the animations. Because with the renders mm -hmm. and the animations, you're concerned about the environment, you're concerned about the lighting, you're concerned about camera angles and camera movement. Um, but with the 3D printing workflow, the end goal is is the 3MF file. And so we can really focus in on the materials, the textures, the the bump maps, you know, transparency, translucency, that sort of thing. And that's that would be sort of the core skill set before you start getting into more elaborate renders and animations. But I would say like <clears throat> some History with Photoshop or other photo editing tools, um, Illustrator, you know, visual like graphic editing tools has helped with uh, Keyshot because you understand the necessity of, say, layering appearances one over the other over the other, which you have to do. Uh, unlike something in SolidWorks where it's more basic and you're just applying one basic color, one basic appearance per part. It creates very flat imagery where real life is not like that. Real life has a lot more complicated uh, finishes on parts, which yeah. finishing is now on my list as well, because if we're creating very like raw prints with the right ingredients to look amazing, they're going to require some post-processing to really flesh them out and, and allow that print to look as good as it, would in a render so so speaking of finishing what are you 
what specifically are you dreaming of? I know you've mentioned in previous episodes, you want the, uh, Tumblr, the Tumblr. Yeah. Tumblr would be nice. Tumblr has its role. I think Tumblr is a, is a great fit for, uh, FDM. FDM. Yeah. Because it is an, it tends to be an aggressive process. And well, I mean, you could probably soften up the, uh, the abrasive you right you, can, you could or the media whatever yeah you have control over the media you have less control over the energy that's being put into that media uh, you, you tend to have less control over that you can get different types of tumblers or um, finishers like you could have a pin finisher for example that's almost like a magnetic mixer have you seen these no a magnetic mixer would be like, imagine a hot plate. You put a flask on, you put some liquid in there, and then you put a magnet, or not a magnet, but a piece of steel, something, a magnetic material. And then under the in the plate, it has a magnetic field that spins. Oh, that wow. So typically, I've, I've always known them as mixing liquids, but you could put a lot of those pins in there. Yeah and spin them all up. And you might have a little bit more control over the finish there. Um, with Polyjet, I'm, I'm gonna, like some of the parts that I'm designing right now, I'm specifically de designing them so that I can put them in my lathe and just spin them and really easily sand them, for example. Uh, coatings, different coatings uh, with Polyjet, just a light dusting of like a clear coat, clear acrylic mm -hmm. spray paint can fill in all of the little nooks and crannies and gaps and valleys of the surface finish and really help reduce the scattering of light when it hits the surface. And so it allows you to, to see through it much nicer. And yeah. So describing that in, <clears throat> in layman's terms, we get kind of a, on a matte finish, say we print in Vero ultra clear, which is designed to be totally transparent, like a glass um, or a plexiglass uh, type of material. If we print it with a matte finish, which at least one side is going to have a matte finish, yeah. which will be the bottom, you get a cloudiness because the light hits that, diffuses the light, and you can't quite see through it. And people, I think, when they see these unfinished Vero Ultra Clear parts, they're not that impressed. Like, oh, that's, that's as good as it gets. That's as clear as it gets. And what they don't realize, it's it's like an M&M. I mean, the internal uh, material is different than the hard candy shell on the outside. If we finish that hard candy shell on the outside, it really lets that inner material shine through. So if you have smudges all over your window, you're not going to be able to see through it as well, right? That's kind of like right. the same principle. You're diffusing the light. So as soon as we clear that up with a polish or like Tyler said, an acrylic lacquer or, or something sprayed on the top surface, it becomes totally translucent. And that's when it's impressive and impactful. Yeah, yeah. So I also am looking forward to working on post-processing of metal additive parts this year. You know, we are going to have metal additive capabilities again in our in our office. And uh, that's going to involve some machining uh, to hit 
different tolerances, different surface finishes that we want, removing support material out of certain areas. So I'm gonna have to brush up my machining uh, skills and, and CNC programming skills. I'm looking forward to doing that actually. And metal additive pre-processing, which I don't have a lot of experience with DMLS or laser powder bed fusion pre-processing development of support materials and whatnot. So it's not going to be the same workflow. We're going to have to learn some new things. Yeah. Yeah. My, the bulk of my metal additive experience is with the filament based metal additive tools, which have an entirely different workflow. So powder bed fusion, uh, it's, it's a different, it's a whole different ball game because you're injecting a lot of energy into the print. There's a lot of heat going into that print. It's creating uh, stress in the print and uh, you need to support it or actually pin the part down to the build tray and you want to do it in a way that's efficient. You don't want more support material than what is necessary. And it's all a balance of, you know, cost, time, post-processing, uh, time, labor, etc., and also quality part. So part of Velo 3D's kind of claim to fame or their secret sauce is their, their aids in helping you get there, right? With pre-processing, getting a, a, yeah. a good finished part. Yeah, I'm learning more about the pre-processing in their flow software and the creation of supports are actually still up to the user uh, for the most part. They've really streamlined laser parameters uh, throughout the part. So the software knows and understands the geometry of the part and it will change laser parameters based on say the cross, th uh, the cross section of an area in the part. It will change the laser parameters on surfaces that are downward facing, upward facing, angled, you know, in certain windows like zero to 10 degrees, 10 to 20 degrees, etc. It will adjust all those, but placement and geometry of supports are still up to the user. It's a skill of the user. And just like an FDM where the user has to determine the orientation of the print, right? That's a kind of a, yep. a core skill and decision that the operator is responsible for same thing with support materials for Velo 3D. And also we have another additive, a metal additive partner that we will be able to talk about soon. They have a little bit different uh, technology, a little different uh, value proposition, and probably a little bit more manual process as well on the pre-processing. All right. So aside from metal, do you have any other goals or, or skills you'd like to learn this year? Yeah. So if we go back to like 2016, 2017, that's when I really started evangelizing for topology optimization. And believe it or not, I was the one person here at Go that was responsible for that on the technical side. Since then, we've tasked much more capable people to handle those simulation discussions. And it made sense because at the time when we were only empowered with FDM and Polyjet, there wasn't a huge end game for topology optimization uh, because in general, nine, you know, 90 plus percent of our parts were not end use parts or they could be optimized in other ways like FDM could just be sparsed out, for example. 
but now with, you know, we have a lot of technologies uh, being served to us this year, right? We, I can't even go through them all, but we have more polymer technologies, more metal technologies that are more geared towards end use applications. And so the incentive to optimize the shape and the interiors is, is present again. And so I'm looking forward to diving back into the topology optimization tools that we already have, which I have quite a bit of history with Altair's Inspire tool, less history with the tools available to us through SolidWorks, the 3D Experience platform, and Altair's HyperWorks platform. Our simulation team really leads that up. Inspire is more of a consumer-friendly, easier to digest tool. But another tool that we and our team are, are looking at is N-Topology. Yes. And the N Yeah, that's... That's a great software. We just barely, uh, Stratasys announced a partnership with NTOP not too long ago. I think we've got a few teammates that are working with it. Uh, I actually kind of did a demo yesterday with it. Oh, you did? Really? Yeah. So jigs and fixtures. Yeah. That, that's kind of, this particular client is very interested in a machine for jigs and fixtures. And N-Topology is built and primed for that. Oh, yeah. So, fantastic um, workflow as well. It, it's my understanding it kind of works like our CAM solution in that it can remember some of your workflows. Oh, So as you process parts, you can develop these workflows and uh, the next time you bring a part in, that workflow is kind of going to be like a preset almost. And you can bring that part in and it's going to want to process it like you processed the last part. So uh, I know there's, it's not going to be exactly the same as cam works, but similar uh, situation. Yeah. A similar ethos. You have more experience with NTOP than I do. They are not new to the game. I've been aware of them for many years now. I've seen them speak at uh, various 3D printing conferences over the years, but I've never used the tool. I'm going to use it probably next week, starting then. And I am excited because I, what I am aware of, it fills in some gaps that we currently have within our portfolio, surprisingly, with how many tools we have available to us. It approaches simulation-driven design in a different way that really intrigues me, particularly once we start thinking about printing on that origin machine with production polymer prints and our production metal prints and some other technologies. Oh, we'll be getting an SLA machine, you know, here in Salt Lake or our V650. So we'll have SLA and I think SLA really uh, lends itself to some of the geometries that NTOP can create. And I'm also intrigued about using NTOP for creating metal additive supports, which I asked them about. They said they can kind of do it, but uh, it's not intended for that. I'm, I want to experiment with that. Yeah, it's going to be a fun year. We, oh, we have a ton of learning to do. Oh, it's... We've got all kinds of software. we got all kinds of hardware. And we're basically going to be put through the ringer. It, it's going to be an amazing year. And it frightens me a little bit, to be honest, 
because it's a lot of responsibility to take on all of these tools, learn them well enough to communicate their value to our internal organization, to communicate the value to our, you know, our listeners and, and people who are interested in the tools themselves. It, it's a great responsibility. And we only have so much time. So we have to be really efficient in how we choose projects, how we choose to learn and how we choose to deliver that content. Um, but we got to do it because people are counting on us and it's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. We have, Tate, we have the best job that I can think of. It's incredible. Yeah. And that actually brings me to one of my goals for the year. Okay. You mentioned content creation. Yeah. I've got a lot of plans too. You know this yeah. because I talk about them. They're part of my goals. They've been part of my goals and it's time to create. So I've got a couple projects lined up that should be fun this year. Uh, one of them is a 3D printed metal bending die, a tube bending die. I've had it for a while. Tyler knows this and we've just, this goes actually towards what you were saying earlier so well. It's one of those things you overthink like, oh, I don't want to do it yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. We don't have the right location. Yeah. You know, we want to make this video look good. Well, the thing is, I'm just going to create it. So with um, the coronavirus and everything, we've kind of gone back and forth from working at home, working in the office. Uh, we have protocols and safety within the office. So it's actually, it's usually pretty safe to go in there. Um, the thing is right now, I'm just ready to make this content at home, yeah. some of it. And I think uh, people will be understanding of that. And I think I'm just ready to do it. So I've got some cool projects lined out already, which is great to kind of have the ammunition already loaded up. And now it's just a matter of execution. So I want to up my content creation game. And fortunately for me, upping my game is just creating it in the first place. And that doesn't just go for work. I actually wanted to start a, a channel on YouTube and I don't care if anyone watches it. Dude, I really don't. I've got, <laughs> I just want to create stuff. Yeah, for sure. This past year, you know, on the same topic at the beginning of last year, I told myself, I want to get more into video production, video editing and whatnot. And I've done that. I've been hesitant to post a lot of of what I've created. And a lot of what I've been doing is what I would consider studies. You know, are you familiar with like the study in the art world? A study would be like, you know, you take a, an artist like Michelangelo and he creates. He just assumes that I don't know. Do you know? He just assumes. Do you know what a study no, is? I don't. I don't. <laughs> okay. I'm just offended. Okay. A study would be like, you. we always see these great, magnificent works of art, sculptures, paintings, whatever. A study is a small drawing and they might be practicing with shadows or they might be practicing with cross hatching or they might be practicing with shapes of uh, features and so they're, yep. they're like it's like practice art and we can do the same thing with video we can do the same thing with photos and whatever i've i've my I've got, in my youtube channel i have two videos that i've posted this year i have a total of i think 30 views so technically <laughs> our podcast is more uh successful than my YouTube channel, <laughs> but I'm proud of the it. Thing, and I just don't The care. thing is your content is spectacular. It's part of the, the browse feature. Um, it's great. 
if it works for you. Yeah. But if you don't have the views behind your your stuff, but I think if you just yeah. keep putting out it's videos like you have, that lawn mowing video is incredible. <laughs> I love it. How long is it? It's like a minute. I think it's one minute. Yeah. Super short. It's a fun watch. Yeah. And the, I think the production's really good. So going back to what I was saying before, the core skill there is actually storytelling. That's the core skill. Writing. In the lawn mowing video? In, in. Or just in general. In videos in general, storytelling is the core skill. Yeah. Being able to write characters and define who they are, what they care about, why they care about it. That's the core skill. We get so caught up in how to edit videos faster, how to do transitions, how to do the color grading, how to do the sound. But that core, you can you can create the most visually pleasing content, but if there's no story, you got nothing. So that's the core skill there that I'm I've been trying to work on. And like you and I both, in everything we do, we just have to have some patience, keep testing ourselves, and only doing it for ourselves. Yeah. The one thing I do know <laughs> is I may not be the best storyteller, but the shorter you can keep a video, the more likely you are to cut the crap. <laughs> yeah. And I just barely did. I tried. I made an attempt. I got a, a new GoPro for Christmas. Uh, I was pretty excited to try and get out and use it. And I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm going to start making this content now that I have a decent camera. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to be real basic about it. Start with a GoPro and the iPhone. And between those two, I should be able to capture most of what I want. And like you said, tell the story. This how-to video went 13 minutes just on preliminary editing. And I was so mad at myself. <laughs> like this should be three and a half to five minutes tops. Yeah. There's no way anyone watches this all the way through, including myself. I hated watching it all the way through. So I think telling the story is everything. Like you said, you'll watch a video, a video with bad audio. You'll watch a video with maybe bad transitions and you don't really care as long as the content's good and you have to have a good hook and you have to keep people's attention. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my goal for this year. I think that GoPro is going to be so fun to use because it's so small. You can put it in all of these tight little places, right? I can only imagine you put it up, you put it on the the J55 build tray and just spin the tray by hand, you know, and let it go in a circle or put it in the build tray and then you're showing the view from inside the machine out through that clear plastic and you just grabbing the door and opening it from the inside. It gives you a different oh, yeah. perspective and you can tell a little bit different story. You can tell a, a story from the perspective of a print, maybe. You know what I, you know what I mean? Are you trying to give me ideas for this year? This, no, <laughs> I'm just saying like this is, this is just how my mind works. He's it's, planting seeds. It, it's a tool. And so what what does the GoPro excel at? You know, it's small. It's has a wide field of view. Uh, yeah, I mean... It can be protected. It's got great image stabilization too. Yeah. And the sound is actually a lot better on these newer ones. That's good. The sound recording, it has some sort of, oh, I don't know if you'd call it a muffler or, <laughs> or what, but it actually produces 
pretty good sound. If, if you know how the old GoPros, like if you were going, uh, say you were on a mountain bike or something and going down a hill, it would just have that crackly yeah. Yeah. sound the whole way down. This, I think it senses that crackling and then muffles it. Cause I noticed a few times just on this first preliminary test, it picked up audio really well until I moved it. And then it would just kind of muffle it. It still picked up the sound great. It just had a little muffle to it, but I'm, I've been pretty impressed so far. Cool. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good year. Yeah, I am excited. You have to be thinking about just some cool uh, perspectives that you could do with your bending, for example, right down, down the line of the Ram. This is, <laughs> so this is what's hard. This is, that's actually a great thing you brought up. Uh, I only have the iPhone and the GoPro and I only have one die. So when this die potentially breaks or fails, I get two camera angles of it. Um, you know, if you have 10 different setups, yeah, yeah. I could put a GoPro on the tube. So as, as, as it's bending, the, the background's moving, but the tube is staying there. I could do uh, a close-up shot slow-mo with the, with the iPhone. So if we do get breakage, we can see how and where, but that's pretty much it. I have two options. Well, Hey, you could always come in and grab one of the, the a 6,000s that we have on the cart. Oh, that's We've got true. two of them. And yeah. we have, we have the GH fives, the nicer cameras here at work that I've borrowed to do projects. So I may have to, yeah, do we have, we have a tripod too, right? <laughs> of course we have a tripod. <laughs> okay. Hey, just checking because I, I think because it's a one-time hit, I'm going to need as many angles as I can possibly get. Yeah. Uh, I watched that. I think you told me about that. This, this kid on YouTube who builds the baseball bat that can oh, break yeah. the world record. Oh man. His YouTube <laughs> channel inspires me for sure. He's so good. He is. I can't so even good. remember his name. I, I think I'd it's give him a stuff shout made out here. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. it. If that's not it, it's really close to that, but it just search for, um, an explosive baseball bat or uh, world record, uh, home run yeah hit and this kid's video should show up but wow he does so much good work he has a lot of access to good camera equipment and his content creation is excellent but in i can't imagine how much the production of that video cost him because he's machining parts on his tormach that he's breaking like right every time he goes to test right. he breaks one or two parts and these parts are probably taking my guess because they're fully billet aluminum pieces, some yeah. are steel. I can't imagine one of his parts that he goes through probably, I don't know, I'd say 10 in the video. That's just a rough guess, but I'd say they're two hour at least builds on a Torma. I would guess so. And it's not like he's a machining expert, so he's going to work a little bit slower. And that's a perfect example of cutting out what's not important. He doesn't show all of that, right? If you're an informed oh, sure. watcher, you you kind of understand what how much effort went into it and we probably underestimate it significantly even though we kind of know. And he doesn't harp on that. He just focuses on what do people really care about? And that's the end result and the story of him the story of the design, 
the iterations, the successes, the failures, and the pursuit of some crazy goal that is just this wild idea that he is actually pursuing, right? You know what else? <laughs> He's the first YouTuber who's had a paid advertisement within the video that I actually enjoyed watching yeah. the advertisement. <laughs> I was like, no way. I'm actually doing this right yeah. now. I'm watching the ad. Um, Very genuine. There, there are many different YouTube niches, right? Any, ho any hobby, any interest that you have, there's a YouTube niche for it. Videography, the filmmaker niche on YouTube, they deliver their advertisements better than anybody I have I've witnessed. And probably because they're so good at storytelling, they just integrate the ad into the story. And you're like, oh, I want that. I need that. I've signed yeah. up. I've signed up for some things that I've seen on YouTube <laughs> because in all honesty, nice. there are tools that you should pay for. They save you time, right? They allow you to create better work and there is serious value there. That's why people buy our printers. That's why people buy our software. That's why I personally pay for many pieces of software because they allow me to do my, they allow me to do the work that I want to do as well as I possibly can, because nothing's more frustrating than undergoing and putting all your effort into something and it coming out flat or it coming out subpar. And it's because you don't have the time or you don't have the tools to fully see it through. And if the only yeah. thing that's between you and that goal are some dollars, then you're going to find a way to put the, you know, put those dollars towards it. For sure. I mean, that's essentially our job right? It's explaining those types of situations to people. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is creating an advertisement within your content. It, one thing that makes advertisements more pal palatable is being applicable to the audience that's watching your videos. Yeah. I don't want to watch an advertisement about wool socks when I'm trying to watch a fabrication, you know, uh, video on YouTube totally. or a how to, and so I think that's why totally. the advertisements apply to you Dude. when when you're watching this videography stuff. I'm so and with so you. that's why you're listening. I'm so with you on that. How many YouTube creators are out there and they say they're woodworking and they talk about how the wool socks are letting them work in the shop when it's cold. And it's like, dude, I don't think so. That's so forced. Or, yeah. Or some cheap earbuds like yeah. a headset, yeah. like, oh, these new Bluetooth headsets, they're they're only $9 and I get it. Try them out. I get it. They're doing what they can, but you could be so much more effective if you are actually just truthful in your process, right? Well, just, and it just seems like they're a sellout. Yeah. The instant they start advertising wool socks, I'm using that as a total uh, placeholder could be anything. Yeah. But as soon as they start doing that, you're like, come on, man. Yeah, we get you're it. You're selling out. You might like the socks. I probably would like the socks too, but are they really they don't resonate with your audience? Yeah. Are they really what's make, you know, making or breaking your craft? Probably not, you know, but if they were, if they were advertising a type of glue or a sharpener for, or a wood chisel. Yeah. That you've seen them use. Yeah. Like you, if you've watched five other of their videos and like, man, that, that wood chisel seems really nice. Right. And he finally mentions it. You're like, oh dude, that's where he got it. 
you, you might click the link, you might go buy it. Yeah. And you know, you and I have talked about this, just showing your work and, and being truthful in what you're doing and being transparent in what you're doing is, is w really what resonates with viewers. And I guess that it, it, probably a good enough time as any to mention, like that's what we aim to do here. Like obviously we have our alliances, you know, are to Stratasys and, and our vendors that we're selling for. But, and I think I've mentioned this in podcasts before, maybe they'll, they're part of the lost podcasts, <laughs> but uh, we get rid of stuff we don't like. It, we get rid of stuff we don't like, and we will promote things that we like that we have no alliance to. You know, how many, how many minutes did we spend today on Keyshot? Keyshot in some ways is a direct competitor to what we offer but what we offer doesn't have the workflow that we need. The workflow that we need is in Keyshot. So we're we're going to talk about Keyshot. Yeah, cuz it makes our life easier. Exactly. It's if it's a smoother workflow for us and we're using a tool, we're not going to hold out. You know, we're going to tell you what we're using, we're going to tell you why it helps us and I think that's important. So throughout this next year that will continue to be yeah. our theme is uh, transparency and honesty in what we're doing. And I think, you know, it's important that everyone knows that if you've listened to one or more episodes, you know, we don't do advertisements. Um, we're fortunate to be able to do this on work time. <laughs> and we, we just ask that if you get a chance and you're actually looking at a high-end printer, give Stratasys a look, you know, yeah. we know that they're good. We try to explain why they're good, but we obviously have both used other systems. Yeah, exactly. And had success and failures with other systems. Yeah, um, we've treated this for however many years that we've been we've been doing this. Is you know we listen to people, we ask who they are, what they need, why they need it, and we try to fit them with. We act as a consultant, we act as an expert in our industry, and we try to you know, explain to them what our belief is on what the right tool would be. Many cases, it's something we have to offer, and in many, many, many cases, it's something that we don't have to offer. And that's the reason why we've been so successful is that people stick with us, people trust us, and that's something that we really are aiming to enhance in this podcast over the next year and hold us accountable. You know, we're, we're gonna be, explaining the process of going through Keyshot and topology, uh, video editing, content creation, and we're gonna show you our work. We're gonna be honest, we're gonna be transparent. Hopefully, that means that you're gonna be learning along with us. Maybe you can give us some tips too, we'd love that. And just come along the ride with us. Yeah, because it's going to be this year. Uh, last year, we were tying up a lot of loose ends. This year, we have so much cool stuff we wanna show you and we are gonna try and reach out on whatever platform we can. Whether it's our YouTube channel, uh, at the Go Engineer YouTube channel, whether it's our personal channels, we're just gonna try and take you along our personal progress. Yeah. And these are some big tools. So <laughs> it should at, least, at the very least be interesting. For sure it will. So I think that's, that's good for this pod. Um, happy 2021. Wish you all success this year. I wish you all creative happiness this year. And thanks for coming Think on the Think less ride with us. and do more. Think less, do more. Perfect. Yep. All right, take care.